Welcome to Twig 214, the first one of calendar year 23. Took a few weeks off to uh, rest and relax with the family and uh, hopefully drink yourselves into oblivion. Um, I, for one, managed to take two weeks off for reels and uh, it was great. Um, So today we are talking, there's not a lot of news because it's obviously right at the beginning of the year, so we're going to be talking... The uh, Twig 2022 Awards. This is a piece that was put together by uh, the Twig community um, and uh, with, with feedback from a bunch of different people, including myself. Um, and uh, so we're just basically going to go over the winners. And for next week, we are going to do our expectations for 2023, which I think will be rather interesting. I think we both... I just read Eric's piece and we disagree on the... What is it, right? The... The movement of the market this year for mobile. So we shall see. Um, how was your guys' holiday? Good to be back, or what's happening, Laura? Well, I spent two weeks also almost completely disconnected. I was traveling through Southeast Asia. It was oh, wow. it was amazing. Cool. Went to see Angkor Wat. That was phenomenal. Went through Laos, went to Bangkok, and then did um Started in Hanoi and then also did Ho Chi Minh City. Jesus it was Christ. amazing. Jeez. It, was, wow. it was a good trip. Who were you with? Uh, a family friend of mine, actually. All right. She was. Um, she's actually in. She she does a little bit of broadcasting. So I was asking. I was like, "Hey, there's this podcast." <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I was picking your brain, but it was a great trip. Um, so it was what I really liked was there so. Breath of the Wild had like was such a cool. I thought it had really cool characters, and I, I think they took a little bit of influence from some of the art and that I saw in that area. Um, and I, I kept thinking back to that game when I was traveling through. Anyway, it was very very cool trip, very cool places. Mr. Seifert, uh, we I had a great I had a great uh, holiday season. I I pretty much disconnected. Um, I've been working on this really 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 long post. Uh, and I, I even paused that. Um, it's going to go live next uh, next Wednesday. Stay tuned. Um, we went to New Orleans. Uh, so we, I had this memory. I so I I road trip to New Orleans once in college, and then once like when I was like twenty four. And I remembered that being a really really pleasant, uh, beautiful road trip and we so i was like let's road trip to new orleans i really want to do it i mean it's like a 30 minute flight right but it's a six hours it's a six hour drive from houston and that was the ugliest nastiest most <laughs> miserable route i i've ever experienced maybe it's just like my i've you know since since those previous new orleans road trips i've road tripped through like the american west which is like actually like breathtaking for the most part but man that was disgusting like i i hope i never have to drive that route again. It was really ugly, uh, pretty miserable. The roads are like in poor, uh, in in a in a poor state. Uh, anyway, that the road trip sucked, but New Orleans itself was 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 amazing. A, we had a great time. It's a sign that you're old and jaded, dude. That's all it is. <laughs> what, it it what, must be. What was new is now old, and now it's right. lost its lost its luster. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> but New Orleans for, for New Year's was, was, was great. We had a great time, ate a lot of good food. I did a ghost tour, which was a lot of fun. Anyways, it was a really good time. Yeah. How about you, Eric? I always stick around. Like my, all my, my, my family's like five minutes away both ways. So I, I never stick around. We have, uh, what we call Korean Christmas on Christmas Eve and, and, and white person Christmas on Christmas Day at my mom's. So we kind of, we kind of split it up, you know, between the two types of families. Um, and it's always really, really fun, but we just don't go anywhere, which actually seems good, particularly this year. This year seems like a fucking disaster. And now we're yeah. talking about this biblical rain bullshit right now. And I swear to God, there is a run on eggs at the supermarket. Like people are so freaked out because they've been just, they just need to be scared about something, you know, like COVID's over. So let's get freaked out about fucking weather. Right. And so now everyone's losing their minds. Uh, I did almost like, I, one of these days, I got to share this video of me uh, of the flooding of my garage. But the the uh, I, I my shit floods and I, I almost flooded. Thank God this pump kicked in because otherwise we would have flooded the basement down here. So anyway, it is pretty bad, but still, it's not biblical. All right, 
fucking stop buying toilet paper and and eggs, you know, from the store. My wife went to like four stores and couldn't find fucking eggs. It was ridiculous. Um, all right. Oh, the only other update I have is uh, <laughs> is the Jacob basketball saga continues. His team went three and one in the first round of this uh, of this big you know made hoops thing, and they are ranked top twenty one in the country, which is amazing. And the team that they lost to um, was top eleven. So. Uh, we'll see. The ranking will go up based upon how they perform in this next leg of the tournament, which is in Portland um, in a few weeks. Um, and then a shameless plug uh, for <laughs> you know from the powers that be at Deconstructor Fun. We are hosting a um, Istanbul event again in, uh, with Google, and uh, and it's sometime in March. And we're gonna we're solidifying the date. Or do we know a date yet? No. I think it, I've heard March 6th. March 6th. First week of March, right? Yeah. Yeah. Big, huge event. Like, this is going to be more than double the size of the last event. Um, it's going to be the who's who of mobile in that area of the world, including Europe. It'll be really fun. And we all should be there. So, uh, yeah, look out for it. Um, any other updates that you guys want to do? Nope. Let's jump I in, have, man. All right. Yeah, oh, a quick sorry. update on. Um, well, a couple things that happened while we were while we were taking a break. Um, so, Moon Active, developer of Coinmaster, which is based in Israel, acquired the Zen Match game as well as the team that made it. Zen Match is a tile match game. I would describe it as Mahjong Solitaire meets Redecor. It has a very hyper casual feel, but contains um, IEPs. I think this. So, Moon Active is looking to definitely expand its portfolio outside of its more its its main title, which is Coinmaster, into more casual puzzle titles. They have a lot of great design and product expertise within the company already. I actually used to work at King with some of them, and they're some wonderful, really smart people. And um, I think this move is going to be great. I think it's actually going to be good for both of them as Moon Active can absolutely turn, they can turn the revenue and installs decline that Zenmatch is currently seeing into growth. Um, and so both, I think both companies will benefit. So something to keep an eye on going forward. I'm a huge fan. I, um, just, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. As a quick, quick plug for my own, uh, as you alluded to, Eric, I posted my 2023 predictions today. I predicted that you'll see a lot more game acquisition. So uh, not buying the company, but buying the game. I think part of the reason for that is you see these companies that have amazing publishing platforms. Um, They're able to do a lot to extract value out of the content assets. And they want to just plug more content assets into this platform. They don't necessarily want the overhead of the company. They just want the content. And so I think you probably will see a lot more of these types of game-only M&A deals. Oh, um, yeah. I, sorry. I love the Moon Active guys. I, I mean, I, th- I think they're really, really smart. I think uh, this yeah. is a great way of kind of diversifying, um, you know, their portfolio. Th- this is what they need to do. They need to go outside yeah. of, of their core competency and, 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 and build a portfolio of games. And what's great about Moon Active is that they're private, right? So they don't have to worry about the public, <laughs> you know, the public markets and, and dealing right. with shareholders and stuff like that. And so... Um, the uh, it's it's you know it's they they're in an envious position uh, right now. Um, oh, the other update that I forgot to mention, and I'm going to do a terrible job of of doing this, is that uh, the three guys from uh, uh, Mythical Games uh, that that went off and created Phoenix Games got sued from the previous. <laughs> Did you see this article? I mean, no, it's crazy, dude. These three guys basically bailed um, on Mythical after like uh, one year and they went off to create their own um, kind of a Web3 publishing business called Phoenix. And really? Mythical is now suing them uh, for a breach of contract and all kinds of stuff, like just like six or seven different con- things. And it, it looks like they're dead to rights <laughs> because they basically, they, it, but what it seems like is that they basically... Um, did all this diligence and did all this BD and tried to create this operation within Mythical. And then they, they basically just busted out and, and, and even used the same investor that they found to uh, start Phoenix. And so I don't know, man, it's not good. I, you know, I know a few of those guys, it just seems like a really bad spot to be in right now, but you know, we'll see what happens. That's going to be kind of a drama. 
going forward kind of a high profile thing because they i think they raised like almost i think 250 million or 150 million or something like that to do this with phoenix or phoenix or yeah mythical phoenix 150 million yeah they, they out of the gate they got 200 150 million um that's i should i should have prepared this i totally forgot yeah 150 million dollars to do uh publishing in 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 web3 so um Anyway, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how this thing got, but it doesn't look good for them at all. And then the other thing, you know, Microsoft was sued by a a, a consortium of gamers, which I think is not really all that meaningful. Um, It just adds more fuel to this fire of uh, of this deal, and we'll we'll see how that goes. But I think what we really need to do is focus on the uh, Twig 2022 awards. Let's uh, (laughs) get there. Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. AppsFlyer, the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them. They know their data. Head to appsflyer.com slash benchmarks now for more info. So basically, uh, the, the community put together this article kind of going through it, and they got feedback from a lot of different people and they basically came up with a few categories that we're going to go over. And so I'm going to speak on behalf of, of the article itself and what they came up with. And then we're just kind of commenting on, on our kind of take on what, what these things were. So the first category was kind of the biggest news item of 2022. And, uh, and we came up with like meta losing $15 billion trying to build the metaverse. Right. So, and, and also the collapse of FTX were probably the biggest uh, stories um, out of 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 the year, which I think is actually good. Um, but I, I but I but my my take though really is kind of the biggest news was because it just kept coming and coming was this Microsoft Activision deal. Um, this has almost been like a comical PR, you know, lies and propaganda from Microsoft trying to get this deal done by any means necessary. Um, even like taking Phil Spencer and putting him up there and, and making him kind of just spout out bullshit, you know, to, uh, to get this deal done. Um, and, and the deal itself is, I think, really tough to call at this point. And, but I think my original view really kind of still stands is U.S. just can't block this deal with existing laws. If it'll be blocked, it'll be blocked by EU and UK. But I think the chances are higher now than they ever have been. So if I were to say it was a 60% chance the deal goes, th- sorry, I would say it's like a 60% chance the deal goes through versus 80 uh, when it was first announced. But um, we still see the other big news of the year that were not mentioned in the article were GTA six leaks was absolutely massive. Like that, that got so much coverage because everyone is just dying on the dying for GTA shut down to stadia. Wasn't that big of a story, but I think it's kind of a big news. And then a uh, big acquisition, Sony acquiring Bungie after the announcement that uh, Activision was buying, um, sorry, uh, Microsoft was buying Activision. Um, any other big news items that you guys want to talk about? You, I just on that the Sony front. I was thinking about that the other day because, you know, the news uh, releases were pretty much sequential. It was like two weeks, right? Like Microsoft announces their intention to buy Activision. Sony announces their intention to buy Bungie. But there's no way that I mean that was not in response, right? I mean that deal must have been in the works for months and months and months. And my question to you guys or to you both is. Um, do we think that Sony got wind? I mean, cause the, but I think the Activision deal was put together pretty quickly, right? Like that was yeah, yeah. the rumor that, it, so that was put together very quickly, but I don't think Sony has the, the institutional flexibility to put together a deal quickly at all. Right. And so my, I, I guess what I wonder is like, was that a reaction or were they both pursuing the same thread knowing that the other was pursuing it or were these just totally independent, 
uh, events, and they just so it was just a coincidence that they got announced roughly in the same time period. Well, I think I've talked about this before. My 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 understanding is that Sony was really taken aback by the Bethesda deal, right? Like I see. taking someone like that off the table is kind of a big, huge blow, right? To and. And of course, what they did was they brought it exclusive. Originally, they basically had pretended that they were going to keep it um, cross-platform. And of course, they did not. Right. Because why would you do that if you're going to acquire something? Yeah. So I think actually that Bungie was a reaction to that deal, which happened last year. Right. Um, it just so happens that it... So my understanding is that they basically started going on overdrive in terms of corp dev to make this stuff happen. I actually spoke to the guy at uh, the BigCraft event um, from Sony. So like... And so they, they're they're on the prowl, right? They're not done either. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, but I, I see. it is a good reaction, though, to some degree. And and even though I I poo poo the idea of Bungie, you know, helping Sony uh, Studios kind of do software as a service, it, it is clear that Bungie will be creating games as software as a service, which I think will be good for Sony overall. Got it. So just uh, just to put a timeline on this, so Microsoft completed the Bethesda acquisition in March 2021. So that actually does seem like realistic timing. Yeah. Like in terms of reacting to that acquisition, it just so happened that Activision happened yeah. roughly the same time. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, anything else? Laura, got anything? News stuff? I think you, I think you covered all the big news of, of last year that I can think of. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing the full-on deconstructing first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. Okay. All right. The big trends of 2022. The article basically suggests Web3, NFTs, Metaverse, blockchain gaming, remote work, obviously. Um, clearly, all these things were really important to the, uh, to the you know, what was happening in 2022. Um, but uh, they basically settled on the trend of the bear market, right? We're seeing about a 5 to 10% decline in the Western countries. I'm seeing about 9% in the U.S. Um, uh, so it's still, it's, you know, and, and the article basically suggests, you know, that's a relatively small decline. It's not like that significant. Um, but the challenge, you know, challenges are inflation, interest rate increases, end of the lockdowns, tough comp from COVID, all these different things. Uh, but but I think the overall impact of Apple's privacy policies um, was was you know the biggest headwind that we saw coming out of 2021. Um, so my take on this, yeah, I clearly like the mobile market being in a bear market is pretty scary, right? I mean, because I think you have to put it in perspective, right? The U.S. growth rate for mobile has been 25 percent every year. For the last seven years, like even yeah. with COVID, right? COVID was up like like 36, 35% or something. Um, and then 2021 was up 11. But so even with that bump, the market has been up over 20% for like seven years. And so now we're down 10. You know, that that's a huge drop. That's a, that's not just a 10% drop. That's like a 35% drop, you know, in terms of what we expectations, maybe 25, right? So it is a big deal. And so people will blame the recession, they'll blame tough COVID comps and all that stuff. And I, certainly that's part of it. There's no doubt about it. But but fundamentally, it was, you know, you know, 
Apple's draconian policies basically created this problem for the market and the market has to respond. And that's what we will see over the next few years um, uh, in how the market responds, both by product and by UA strategy. And that's part of what Eric went into with his piece and what we'll talk about next week. But um, but nonetheless, I think that is the biggest you know trend in the market that is quite scary uh, for uh, mobile. Um, and then couple that, I'll just say lastly, is that a bit, you know, the console market coming back in holiday is going to be kind of the big news for this year as well. Yeah, I mean, I so I my view here and like I've got this long piece that I've been working on for forever and I'm going to publish it. It's coming together. It's going live next week is economy. When you blame the economy, that's a misdirection. That's strong. Trying to draw attention away from the systemic changes that ATT uh, catalyzed, right? And that are going to be followed by other similar systemic changes. So when you talk about the economy, what economy? Nike had blowout earnings. <laughs> Nike, that's a consumer goods company. The American consumer is in a very, very comfortable position. There is no recession. People are talking like there's a recession right now. The recession is coming. If a recession comes, it's going to happen Q2, Q3 next year. So there's a second shoe to drop. People are talking about the recession. What recession? Consumers are sitting on top of $1.7 trillion in excess savings from COVID. There's a COVID reset and there's ATT. If you look across the digital landscape, some companies are up. Why did Netflix launch ads now if we're in an advertising recession? Like Netflix is totally immune from ATT, right? So anyway, I think when you talk about macro headwinds, the um, Octahedron Capital published uh, the, a few things we learned. They do this like quarterly thing. A few things we learned this quarter. And they were just parroting that narrative. They had highlights from all the different social media earnings saying macro headwinds, macro headwinds. What macro headwinds, right? So the, 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 the idea here is like, I think there is an incentive right now to draw attention away from the systemic frictions that ATT caused um, because there are other frictions that are coming to the market soon. Google's going to deprecate the GAID on Android. Google's going to deprecate cookies in Chrome. I mean, there are other, the DSA goes live, the DMA goes live in 2024. Uh, There's going to be probably a national privacy law. There's other shocks that are going to come and you want to draw attention away from those and just say, well, you know, we're in a recession. We're objectively not in a recession right now. Yep. I 100% agree. You said it much better than I do. People, it's just all look over here type stuff, you know. Look over here. Yeah. Look away from here. <laughs> Pay no attention to, to the man behind the, the curtain. Dude, and Apple's got all these guys on their side too, you know. They can do no wrong right now. Although their stock's starting to get punished now, which is good. I think they deserve a little bit of pain. <laughs> good. <laughs> Well, they lost a trillion dollars in market cap. Like last year, going into 2022, they're at th- almost $3 trillion. Now they're at two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and ironically, I'd probably be a buyer at this point. I mean, I, I don't think the Apple juggernaut's going to change anytime soon. So, um, all right. Moving on. Um, or any other big trend you want to talk about, Laura? Or we... Good. I'm, I'm waiting until we talk about the skeptical move because I have okay. some comments on that. All right. Well, I think my, my only, just one, just real quick, is... It, you talk about 2022 and like the big theme was NFT. The big theme was Web3 games. Where were the players? Where were the buyers? That wasn't the Not big theme. That was the big hype. They were buying console. <laughs> yeah, that was the that no, that was the noise. That yeah. wasn't the actual market movement. That was the noise. I know. I know. Signal through the noise, right? Um all right, most skeptical move of 2022. So the article talks about I didn't even realize that this actually happened this year was that uh, Zynga hiring the Coca-Cola executive, Mr. Matt Wolf, uh, to run their blockchain uh, thing. That was definitely a skeptical move. That's what they said in the article. Um, But uh, obviously all the the NFT talk, you know, all this move into NFTs and and blockchain games and stuff uh, they mentioned was very skeptical. And then once they they, they start talking about the uh, Embracer and Netflix moves, you know, first of all, Embracer, actually Embracer, I don't really agree with this. Embracer acquiring Square Enix Montreal and, and Crystal Dynamics, I think was like the best move they made, right? But um, but there's lots of other things that they did that didn't make sense. Um, and then Netflix was, um, you know, kind of building their vision for, for a streaming service and, you know, they're a la 
you know, Netflix's Apple Arcade. So they've been doing all kinds of moves uh, to build games for this thing. And I think they qu he questions, you know, kind of what they're doing on that side of it. But we won't really know until we know, I suppose. But what he what they came up with as a conclusion is that Embracer's acquisition of the Lord of the Rings IP was probably one of the most skeptical moves of 2022. Um, so I, I, I'll let you, uh, I'll let, I'll let Laura kind of discuss this. I don't, <laughs> I, I think there were so many skeptical moves in 2022 that it's like hard to compare. I mean, but, uh, what do you think? Yeah. But what do you think, uh, Laura? Okay. So th this, the skeptical piece ha covers a lot. So I tried to break it down and I, I won't lie. I think I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So I'm going to start with Netflix and then I'll jump back to Lord of the Rings. So Netflix as a whole, I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish on for games. They aren't. So I was looking back to how they were com being compared to Apple Arcade for games. Netflix isn't trying to charge for games. So it's not going to follow Apple Arcade's initial business model, which was that you could pay for it separately. Um, even though that now the arcade has been rolled into Apple one. And if you compare apples to apples, Netflix has a lot more content and offer than Apple TV and the pricing is better. So Apple, one is $17 per month while Netflix is 10 without ads. And then I was getting a little bit into, well, Netflix knows how to make video content quickly. And I actually think their biggest challenge is that they can, they can output fast. There's, there's no, they can make, they can make series quickly. And I think they're going to be able to apply that to games where Netflix, I think has the bigger challenge is that they haven't been able to make kind of a forever franchise like Star Wars in either games or in film and TV. They've come close. Stranger Things is pretty strong, but it's not a forever franchise. And what they're, why I think I'm less skeptical is that their acquisitions are trying to change this to produce more higher quality games. And I think that was seen by some of their, their acquisitions. I believe they acquired four studios and then they ramped up two studios last year. So they're aware of this and they're, they're doing something to make a change so that they can either have really big, create new big IPs and then work as a, create a more of a retention model to keep their subscribers. So that's my take on, on Netflix. I'm, I'm quite bullish. Okay. Yeah. You're less skeptical is what you're saying. Like less the skeptical. That they're making are less skeptical. I, 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 I have to agree with that. I think, I think out of all of the things that are happening right now in, in the gaming space that are new, I think Netflix is kind of on the path of potentially doing something great but we'll see let's see um and then embracer so they're so embracer did a lot of acquisitions as well and they, they the way i phrase it is they are taking a lot of shots on goal with a bunch of ips under their belt so they have things like the mask they have stranger things and they have tomb raider and in december it was announced that amazon games will work on a new tomb raider game with crystal dynamics which is now part of embracer and we know that Embracer bought Middle Earth Enterprises, which owns the Lord of the Rings IP. And what um, in one article, which is, I believe is from Variety.com, uh, Wingifers, who's the CEO, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, has now licensed four Lord of the, Ring, Lord of the Rings games with external developers. So similar, and I don't want to say it's like a similar strategy to Netflix, but they are taking these IPs and they are doing something with them. It'd be one thing if they were sitting on them, but they're not. And then this Middle Earth Enterprises group, which has the uh, Lord of the Rings IP, is is under um, Lee Guinchard. Again, apologies for the, if it's bad pronunciation. I took a look at his background he has, he has like, what, 10 plus years just, just from Activision alone. He has extensive experience in games. He's running that group. Um, and he's, he's looking at making third-party games in a time when, you know, now so many, so many tech places have laid off people. And there's, there's going to be opportunity to find people that are going to be like, hey, I want to work on this cool game. I'm going to work. On, sure, I'll work on, a, I'll work on a, a Lord of the Rings game. And I, I think it's, it's a I think it's a good time to be to be doing this because there's a lot of people that would be willing to make games now. I mean, I think I've, I've heard, I mean, from you from you two that VC money is drying up. So look for people that have money and they have opportunity. I think I think it's going to be an interesting year for them. For um, Embracer, so, for Embracer, yeah. No, I'm, no, I'm the, curious. <laughs> they have all these stuff coming out. Let's see uh, what happens. I gotta push. I gotta push back. Yeah, Fine, no, no, push no, no. back. Uh, <laughs> I, well, no, I would. Go ahead. No, no, you go, Eric. I, I, 
I could go on about this for hours. I think I think the aggregator model doesn't work in the way that it is engineered at the current large aggregators. I don't think you would just buy assets and sit on them and let them run independently. I think you need centralized publishing tech to have a competitive advantage. If you buy stuff that's just structurally challenged um, and it's under your umbrella group, like why would it not be structurally challenged under your umbrella group? Unless you're providing it with like central tech and services that beat the market, in which case, yeah, you can extract value. But I don't know that those big, the big aggregators right now aren't doing that. Um, and that's not the way they're set up. And so I, I feel like that model doesn't work in, doesn't work in the post ATT environment, probably doesn't work in the, uh, in the sort of rough choppy waters that we're wading into in 2023. Yeah. And I would say that that's these licensing deals likely occurred way, way before they got acquired. Right. And so this is actually creating competition for themselves. Right. If the, if the real value of this license is to build content holistically on your own that you don't have to pay licenses to right and so if you're if there's like a a a group of third parties that are building out licenses licensed games and they're going to compete directly with any type of game that you're publishing right so it gets really messy really quickly and and i don't think the value of this and we talked about this offline is like the real challenge here is that when you think of lord of the rings you think of aragorn legolas gandalf and the little hobbits, right? And you, in, in your mind's eye, what are you thinking? You're thinking about the movie characters, right? You're thinking about these actual actors that played them in the movies, which were fucking yeah, amazing, right. right? They have absolutely no rights to those likenesses, period. End of sentence, right? And so they have to recreate this shit from scratch, you know? So they could put, Legolas could be a brown-haired, you know, five-foot-four uh, elf, you know, for all they care, right? And you have to, you have, you're trying to going to convince the consumer that that's Legolas and not this blonde, like beautiful man. You know, like anyway, it's it, it, it's a quagmire of bullshit that, that is going to be impossible to leverage in in a meaningful way. I think, um, uh, going longer term, frankly, but uh, and then they paid an insane amount of money for it that no one else would ever pay uh, because, again, as I said many times, it's been for sale for twenty years. 20 years they've been trying to sell this bullshit, right? Anyway, all right, moving on. Those, um, are, those are completely fair points. They, I'd say of the two positions, I, I would be happier to, uh, to be wrong. I'm wrong on Embracer, fine. Um, I still am excited to see what they come out with for those games. But yeah, I, with Netflix, well, I'm still bullish. Okay, I agree with that last statement, by the way. I think, it's, uh, I think opening up this license and building new games is going to be great. And, I, and I, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the IP. Don't, I, I want to be clear on that. I just don't think they're going to make any money from it, right? I don't think it's a, it's a boon for them. I think they paid too much and they're getting too little. But all right. Uh, whoa. Where are you skeptical, Miss Laura? Okay. I'm skeptical about, slightly skeptical. I think it's more about, and this, uh, I would say Meta's focus and Horizon Worlds, though technically I don't believe Horizon Worlds launched in 2022. I, I think that... What they have to show for their current investment is probably not what they expected, um, and it's probably not what I. Well, I mean, what I read is that it's not what the investors expected either. Um, and then when I was having a look for, uh, when I was having a look at what kind of what was happening, so what was Meta doing? Um, there was I found this. Uh, I think this this viral post that went live with uh, from John McCarmack. So he had an internal memo when he was leaving Facebook, and I think I believe it was leaked. Um, and then he posted it on his Facebook page, which is where where I pulled it from. And he talks about their inefe- uh, Facebook, or sorry, Meta's inefficiencies, and that it might be a long road until they can turn it around. Um, I'm, I'm just going to quote a few things from the post. Um, one that stuck out is. We have a ridiculous amount of people and resources, but we constantly self-sabotage and squander effort. There is no way to sugarcoat this. I think our organization is operating at half the effectiveness. That would make me happy. Some may scoff and contend we are doing just fine, but others will laugh and say half. Ha, I'm at a quarter efficiency. And to be fair, to balance this, he does say he does have a lot of hope um, that he's He's, he, I think it was, he's, opti- he's happy with where they've gotten so far, but the, uh, in summary, it's more of the, I think, the, the future and the lack of focus and inefficiencies might be a struggle. What so, the fuck, dude? I, why is he trying to burn the house down when he leaves? Like, Jesus. Yeah. I, to I, be I, fair. I'm really was... so shocked that, that, that he would actually post something like this. 
at all. I am too, especially well, especially because he seems like a very reserved yeah. guy, right? You know what I mean? Like, so this is extraordinary. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't. Be, I, I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> shocked that 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 this this was allowed. I'm surprised he's not getting sued, right, for this kind of bullshit, right? It's weird, weird. But this is exactly what I've been hearing for like years at this place. It's not like. This is not like new news in the sense like if if you're in the know, like it takes them forever to get shit done at these big companies. And Facebook is just as, as painful as the rest. Right. But like that's um, but uh, that's just the nature of big companies. Yeah, I know. But you, but given the focus on this particular thing from from the highest highest levels, you would think that they would work more efficiently. But clearly they are not. Um, and I I actually have to agree with you. I think out of all the things that happen. Well, yeah. All right. I think Meta's re-continued focus on on the metaverse and 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 VR, I think, is probably it's gonna it's biting them in the ass right now. And I think the fact that they're still kind of doubling down on it and not pulling back is 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 I agree is definitely one of the most skeptical moves this year. Well, that's the thing. I, they bit off like a huge bite, a huge bite, and it just makes it that much more challenging. I, I, that again, this is why I thought it was a bit skeptical. I, if I was in their product group, I'd be like, "All right, we're going to narrow the focus. Like, it, metaverse is huge. How do we how do we start a little bit smaller and get that part right?" <laughs> All right. I, actually, yeah. I, I think well, okay. just I would let me just let me just let me, I'm on the fence about this, but let me let me propose the um, devil's advocate view, which is that. Um, what first of all, what choice does Facebook have? They've got to make this work because their advertising business is structurally challenged. Yeah. Right. Just now, just today, uh, the sort of like European privacy watchdog said that Facebook had been illegally, in terms of GDPR, illegally personalizing advertising for its users. Um, they levied like a three hundred eighty million dollar fine or euro fine on Facebook. Uh, which brings basically the total fines paid by Facebook over like the last year to like 1.2 billion. <laughs> and they said that they can no longer just presume consent as a result of accepting the terms of services, but they have to actually, um, uh, they have to explicitly opt in to using not third-party data, not ATT, using the data that Facebook collects from their use of the Facebook and Instagram products. They can no longer personalize advertising using that data. That's first party. Holy right? crap. So, but there's more of this to come. And, that, you know, that's, this is not, ATT was not the end of this. ATT was the beginning, right? Or actually GDPR was the beginning. And there's going to be a steady drumbeat of these kind of uh, regulations and po- policies that moderate the way that we interact with digital products. So what choice do they have, right? And so um, the other thing I would say is like, I think my understanding is that internally, Zuck views this as like a 10 year transformation of the company and they're like on year two. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So like we can judge it by the early results and, and, you know, there's a lot of, of things to ridicule about horizon worlds and a hundred thousand people and the retention and you go into horizon worlds, there's no one there and the employees at the company don't even want to use it. So they're not even dog fooding it. And the, the hardware is clunky or whatever, but like you have to kind of take a 10 year view. That would be the devil's advocate argument. I don't know where I fall yet. I, I'm not really, I don't really have a strong opinion, but I, I would just propose that as that's the devil's advocate argument. 10 to 15 years, we might be wrong, but zero to five, <laughs> we're right. That's my, uh, my new mantra. <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. In today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale, including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Exola acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. 
Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. The biggest winner of 2022, I have to say it's Activision Blizzard. I think the, 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 the genius behind Bobby and his, his movements, like regardless of what happens, the acquisition happens, it doesn't happen, he's just, he's gold, right? But, but Activision Blizzard as a whole came from like, they were in just the shits, right? But Call of Duty's back on, on track. Diablo Immortal did really well. Um, Overwatch 2 launch was terrible, but disappointment. But um, Diablo's coming out next year. Uh, you know, this Microsoft deal is still, is still could happen. But as, as a whole, the company just crushed it in 2022. And it looks like they're in, in, in really good shape for 2023. Um, now... The other, the other thing that I, I my, kind of my, this is, I'm oh, sorry, that was the article. My, my comment is, I agree with the Activision Blizzard is probably the best, but I would say that um, I think what is also the biggest winner in 2022 is fundamentals. <laughs> now we're getting back to fundamentals, like making money or the path to profitability is important, right? And so high fires like Roblox, AppLovin, Tesla skills or anything else that Kathy from ARK Investments put her support behind are all getting absolutely annihilated. But fundamentals matter. And so those companies that actually had fundamentals are, are holding up, uh, thank you very much, like EA, Activision, um, and, uh, you know, Sony, Microsoft, et cetera. So anyway, clearly, yeah, Activision Blizzard is probably the biggest winner for, from the publishing, publisher perspective. Eric? I, I agree. I agree. I think, well, first of all, I mean, if you look at, you know, the contraction in mobile, like where you wanted to be was having a big blockbuster game ready to go in 2022, which Activision did, yeah. right, with with um, Call of Duty Modern Warzone, uh, Modern Warfare 2. Plus, they released Warzone 2, right? So they had two massive blockbuster releases ready to go in 2022. Yeah. I mean, and like, blo- not just not just big hits, blowout, unprecedented hits, like, like the biggest hits of all time hits. <laughs> so I mean, just by that, just by that standard, they must be the winners of 2022. Yep. All right. Who took the most damage in 2022? Um, so from Oof. the article, Stillfront was down 40, 54%. Ubisoft 45. Activision was down 30. Um, which was well, that's not true. Um, Zynga was down 30. Platika fell 50, but the Chinese gaming companies were really the ones that took the most damage, according to them, um, because of all these changes with the uh, policies on the China. They they basically kind of just lost their ass. Like, I mean, it was crazy. Baidu and um, and Tencent have been down dramatically because they haven't been approving games. But uh, their conclusion was that app love and stock, which is basically ten percent of what it was last year, um, divesting from games. You know, they failed their public uh, acquisition of, of Unity, um, but AppLovin basically takes got beaten up from pillar to post. That's what he said. That's pretty yeah. good. Um, let's see. My, my take is I, I, AppLovin is definitely up there, right? At one point, they were worth, let me just say this out loud, $35 billion. That's more than Activision and EA. I mean, it is nuts. Now they're worth... Four billion, which may be still overvalued. <laughs> so that's a thirty-one billion dollar loss uh, for shareholders, which is crazy. Roblox, on the other hand, was a worth a staggering seventy-five billion dollars for a company that barely makes money. If it does, I don't even know. Now it's worth seventeen billion. So from an absolute market cap loss, shareholder value loss. So it's clearly Roblox was a lot worse. Um, but I think the one company that has to be mentioned here as in terms of the absolute percentage loss was skills, right? As I've said many times, skills, in my view anyway, is a criminal organization, right? They are, they are a gambling organization that's trying to be a gaming organization. And skills went public at $10 a share, which was at uh, about $4 billion. At peak, they were worth... $31 billion. $31 billion. That, again, is the value of Activision or EA. EA, maybe Activision's a little higher. Um, oh, sorry, sorry. Never mind. Sorry. They peaked at $31 a share. It was $12 billion valuation, which is what Ubisoft is worth around. 
uh, when they were at their peak. Anyway, so yesterday they closed at 50 cents per share or $200 million. This is below their cash balance of $450 million, right? Jeez. So, so what happened? Well, what I said is what happened, right? Their business model never made sense. It wasn't profitable, even at the contribution line. If you And, and, and they were just mis, misrepresenting the revenue that they were generating by giving all their revenue back to the customers, right? Um, and in their investor presentation that they put these long-term forecasts, they actually hit their revenue targets to some degree, right? But I think they restated, so that may not be the case. But nonetheless, they kind of hit their revenue targets but the problem was the business model made no sense. And so like, they were unprofitable. Like, and so the more they grew, the more they lost. So it's like they may have hit these revenue targets that they threw out there, but they were just kept losing more and more money because, again, this business model never made sense. This, the, the type of games they need, the type of customers they need, it's just impossible. And now with IDFA, it's, it's over right, for this company. Um, and I and I think pretty much anybody else that's trying to do these type of you know gambling, whatever you know, skills based gambling stuff. So it's going to be tough. Um, so the other thing, okay, sorry, that that's kind of my take as the biggest loss was uh, skills. One honorable mention goes to is A one A A sixteen Z. Now I'm not probably gonna make any friends here with A one sixteen Z. So. <laughs> According to the uh, the article, they lost forty percent of their four point five billion dollar crypto fund during the second half of twenty twenty two, and that's like an estimate, right? Like I don't know, maybe it's probably worse than forty percent if 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 some of these numbers thing. Um, and I and I and I think like kind of my take here is that a lot of VCs are going to have to really look start looking closely at their blockchain uh, gaming company investments. Yeah. You know, Galaxy in particular was really early and big in the space. Um, but to be you know more positive light, we have a lot of games coming out in the next 12 to 18 months that will basically, I think, indicate where the blockchain revolution is headed, right? So if people can actually make great games that, that leverage this tech, we may be having speaking a different tune next year. I think that's a challenge. I think they don't have the audience, so that's going to be hard. But like, let, let's see how it evolves. Now that we know what doesn't work, let's see what might work. Right. Um, and so there's so much, again, talent and skills and, 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 and engineering that's going into this. Hopefully something will rise from the top and create some kind of trend um, for, for gaming. That would be a, a positive thing. Laura. No, I, I completely I completely um, agree with your take on the Web3. The only thing I would I would add is that I think um, I believe there was I have to look up the article. Um one of the knock-on effects, I think, of the whole issues that crypto is facing is that the the startups, as you say, that have the great talent, they're going to be able to still to power through all the all the challenges they're facing now, and still probably still be able to launch. I think where there's going to also be um, some some collateral damage is the startups that have okay ideas, but they not great ideas. They've raised money. I think that they will struggle to stay afloat and launch. And then that would be my only, that would be my only ad. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, 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 we're looking at like a period of like, probably like a somewhat, somewhat unprecedented period of like zombie startups and not, not just in gaming and not just in web three gaming, but across the board. Right. Cause the frenzy, the bubble just had everything under the sun being invested into at these eye-popping valuations. So you raised a hundred million. Now you lay everyone off and you're sitting on all this cash, right? And what are you going to do? Um, on the Web3 side, I don't know. I would say like I'm, pro- I'm apparently less optimistic than Eric, which is surprising. <laughs> uh, I just don't know. What do you, where are the users? Yeah. Right? Because yeah. part of the yeah. bubble was adoption. Part of the bubble was ad- and if adoption only got that much traction during this frenzy, where, where do the users come from? Now, that's not to say that I don't think you can make a, a hit Web3 game and it could make a lot of money. And I don't think you need that many users. And that would be the argument that a lot of people are making right now that you can do. It's like, look at look at the the down number of some of the, the hit games from mobile at peak 2017 or whatever, when when or, or not at peak, but in that, that sort of cohort of the early hit games um, when 4X was like on fire, like, you know, 100,000 DAU. Now imagine you get 10X the RPPU. Right. Well, then maybe you need a 10,000 DAU and that's probably realistic, I think. But 
Um, I guess I'm less, I don't think that's happening in 2023, but uh, so I, I think you're going to have a lot of VC, uh, VC backed companies that raised a ton of money during this just absolute frenzied <laughs> period. Um, and especially when money was basically free uh, that, you know, are just sitting on huge piles of cash that don't really have any like productive way to put it to use. Right. Um, or at least not, not for the reasons that they were funded anyway. Uh, one, one thing I would point out like as a winner, and maybe this is like a little bit counterintuitive. I think Zynga was the big winner. They sold <laughs> at the absolute yeah. perfect time. <laughs> I, I, I was going to rip about that a little bit, but I was like, I think I've ripped on that enough, but uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Right. No, no, they were the big, they were definitely one of the biggest winners, but take two was obviously yeah. the biggest loser. In that scenario. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, most underperforming game of 2022. Uh, the article mentions Axie Infinity, which is definitely up there because <laughs> I love that article that said they were doing, you know, candy crush numbers at 1.2 annualized run rate type bullshit, right? Which is like, come on, man. They did that for like three weeks, you know? Um, anyway, so they they were talking about the article. They did $152 million round by A1Z1. Jesus Christ. But anyway, and it's now to zero. At this point, right? Um, but the new game just launched, so we'll see how that does. Um, okay. Uh, Can I just make one oh, make one quick point on this topic? So, and I was going to talk about it later, but maybe I'll just talk about it now. You know, FTX's fund, right? That was just investing off the balance sheet, right? They didn't have like a fund, to my knowledge. I could be I could be totally wrong about this, but I I mean I read this, so if if the source I read it from is is incorrect, then uh, then I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll eat crow later, but my understanding, and this is, you know, what I've read is that FTX's VC fund was just investing off the balance sheet. Right. Well, what does that mean? They were investing customer funds right? and they, the FTX's holdings were made public. There's a lot of gaming companies. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And we don't know whether those gaming companies, whether that money has to get be recovered by the people who were defrauded, right? And so even if you just set that aside and you say, okay, that's not going to happen. They can't reclaim the funds. The, 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 the victims get ownership in the companies because that's what the funds went to go buy. They can't reclaim them. Although I've heard some of these companies are setting those funds aside to give them back in case they, they, are, they are forced to. Um, but even if you put that aside and say, okay, they can keep the money, the victims get just the ownership in the companies. FTX was leading these rounds at these eye-popping valuations, and where's the next round going to come from? Because when you have that dynamic, you expect this company to be there to lead every other round, right? And so now, like, because I was talking to people at Slush, because the blow-up happened right before Slush, and they're like, nah, no big deal. We got the money. FTX going under doesn't matter to us at all. We got the money. The money's sitting in our bank. Well, yeah, but there's no one to lead the next round. Yeah, right, right. And who else is going to value you on that trajectory that FTX was willing to? Right. So I think a lot of those companies might be facing some serious trouble when they need cash next. Well, That's, they need to get profitable. Back to, yeah. Back to the fundamentals. Right. They need to actually build product that are profitable, that can provide <laughs> yeah. cash flows. Right. I mean, sure. good a luck. lot of yeah, them won't luck. be able yeah. to. Right. And then they won't be able to raise again. Yeah. That's right. Right. zombies. All right. Um, in terms of underperforming games on mobile, I think Apex has to be up there like only because of expectations for that game and how well it hasn't actually done terrible. But my understanding is that they spent like, I mean, they must've spent at least 50, 70 million to make the game. And I know the marketing campaign was probably North of 50 million. And I think they've made like maybe 20 million to date. <laughs> so it's like, that. it's not a no bueno. I mean, I'm sure it's like half of what more, less than half of what they expected. So I think, it's not as bad as PUBG New State, which was an absolute disaster um, last year. But I think it's for mobile. I think Apex is probably up there. Um, on the console side, I would say Saints Row. So that's Embracer. Like, I mean, you can talk about all these moves that they're making with Embracer, but the fact is, the push comes to shove. Their biggest IP is Saints Row, and the title was a fucking train wreck. Okay, it was like so bad, right? And it, it, it probably. They were supposed to do like eight to ten million. They may may have done two million at full price, 
maybe, right? Um, and that's only because of the franchise. And I'm sure they got tons of returns as well. So nonetheless, I think that that was on the on the mobile on the console side the biggest loss uh, or the biggest loser. Oh, underperforming games. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anybody have anything on mobile or console? Nope. No, not really. Okay. The best game of 2022. So the article basically says, obviously, uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Diablo Immortal um, were the two biggest games. Uh, Call of Duty obviously being the fastest selling game of Call of Duty ever. One billion sales in just 10 days. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, that was amazing. So I think we talked about this last time, and I have to agree. Modern Warfare 2 is, is, a, is a hallmark title in the space, uh, not only because it sold well, but also how well it did relative to last year, right? So, like, it was so bad last year, or uh, the year before now, 2021, that, um, that its impact to the console business will be pretty dramatic uh, moving forward. Uh, for mobile, I would say Diablo Immortal or Marvel Snap, I think showing the signs of strength in IP in the marketplace. Um, I think both games have done, done extremely well. Um, and, uh, you know, Diablo Immortal obviously performing better than I expected. Marvel snap is actually doing exactly what I expected more or less. Uh, we'll see if they can continue that, but those are two big, the biggest, the best launches anyway, in 2022 that I know of. Eric. Uh, I mean, just from a, I mean, not, not from a, well, from a commercial perspective, certainly Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, but just from like a qualitative, uh, I'm a gamer and I like to play games perspective, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, I'd say Warzone 2 especially, uh, and then God of War Ragnarok, like what a great game. Yeah. I mean, that's just a work of art. I mean, that, what, a, just, what a well done product. I just really appreciate that game uh, and I'm grateful for the team for making it. I. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not, that's not my type of game, but my son has been playing Ragnarok and I, it is amazing. Like they can actually yeah. build something like that in this day and age. The amount of time and effort it creates to create quality games like that is, 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 and so, sorry, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. And I, I was thinking about this over the holiday about user generated content, all this AI talk about game development, et cetera. And this is like a piece that maybe we'll start talking about when we talk about future trends. But like, how is in the, how in the God's green earth can you create an experience like Ragnarok using AI tools and user generated crap? You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems impossible. And I think what people don't understand or appreciate is the expectation of the consumer in the West is so fucking high. You know, when you have games like Ragnarok, Last of Us, you have games like, you know, Call of Duty, you know, even Battlefield even Madden and FIFA, right? You can't replicate that kind of quality with these tools and technologies that people are suggesting, you know? And that's what people want, right? And particularly on console um, and PC. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know. I, I watch my son play Ragnarok and I'm like, I'm just blown away at the intricateness of the levels, like the, the game design, the level design, you know? And so, and anybody I talk to that actually does game development and they people start talking about these AI tools. They're just like, get the fuck out of here. You know, get out of here. It's like, it's almost an insult to them that, that you could suggest that you could build an AI tool. That's going to create an experience like God of war Ragnarok. And maybe that's not the benchmark that we should be looking at, but that's the benchmark yeah. for the consumer, you know? And so anyway, I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot these days. And uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how this stuff evolves. And so, the new buzzword out there right now is AI, right? And 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 user um, and procedurally generated stuff, which we've been talking about for like twenty years at this point. Um, and 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 I want to see where this stuff goes. And obviously, the technology is a lot more uh, ahead. But anyway, all right, we'll we'll talk about that next time. I was just thinking about it. Um, so I think that's it. Or do you have any new best games, Laura? That you want to talk about? What was your favorite game this year from your perspective on the casual side? Oh. Um, I've been, the issue is I've, I've been playing a lot of smaller games. So ones that, um, that either have like a new mechanic, like the, uh, sea of souls. Um, and I, I, there's, a, I think there's a lot of great games with, with interesting new mechanics, but I don't have a favorite game. Like I, I liked, um, merge stories. I, I thought right, Merge right. Stories was really fun. So yeah. I, I've been, I've been, I don't play as many of the kind of the blockbuster hits as you two do. I try okay. to see like who's doing something cool and interesting. 
Yeah, makes sense. All right, so next week we'll talk about expectations for 2023 um, and, and beyond, frankly, uh, and and we'll put together something hopefully entertaining. I mean, you've already written most of it, <laughs> Mr. Seifert, so you already know it. But uh, but let's think of console, mobile, um, and as well as uh, UA trends and new platforms, AI and Web3, all the stuff that's going on right now. Metaverse, you got to say the metaverse word a few times. Um, yeah. No, I'm kind of excited. Uh and uh, so we'll see you guys next week. Uh, for now, we'll talk to you guys soon. Happy New Year. Later. Happy New Year. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.